Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. My guest today is David Lombardo, and David is with Capital Press Room. He does a show five days a week, and he's here to talk about his adventures at the Democratic New York State Convention. So, David, was it a lot of fun? I think for me, with the way my weird brain works and my love of (laughs) New York State politics, uh, I would say, yes, it was a lot of fun. I don't know whether the average voter would have had a lot of fun. I don't know if the average reporter would have had a lot of fun. Uh, But for me, to be in that atmosphere, to be around politicians, to be around uh, my colleagues who cover the Capitol, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. So, were there any surprises that came out of the convention that you that you could share with us? So, this was a heavily scripted event by the New York State Democratic Party, and as such, there was not a lot of room for surprises. They had everything planned pretty much to the T, even knowing kind of how much of the vote uh, Kathy Hochul was going to get in the endorsement process. But there was one surprise, or at least one unscripted moment, which was uh, a protest that happened when Governor Kathy Hochul accepted the party's endorsement. Uh, People on the far left uh, had planned to uh, basically disrupt the speech and uh, make a call for good cause eviction, which is legislation that would cap rent increases and provide for very limited instances where evictions could happen, as well as calling for a $3 billion investment in the Excluded Workers Fund, which is to provide pandemic relief to mostly undocumented immigrants. So they started chanting during Hochul's speech. Uh, She tried to uh, ignore them. That didn't work. Uh, The audience tried to shut them down a little bit. That didn't really work. Eventually, security had to carry them, uh, not carry them out, basically escort them out as they chanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the disappointments for me was that as I I ran up to the part where where they were being escorted, I, you know, set my phone up to start hitting video and shoot video and recording it. And then I looked down and I realized I didn't actually record any of it. So that was a bit of a technical uh, error on Mm -hmm. my part. But uh, that was really the only unscripted moment. And then, you know, after two or three minutes, things were back on course, and uh, Hochul completed her uh, acceptance uh, speech, and we had confetti, and all the endorsed candidates uh, joined each other on stage. Now, how many how many delegates were there to the convention? I know the state committee people go. Who else went besides the state committee people? So... For starters, like you're saying, you have the committee members, and each assembly district has, I believe, two representatives, and there's 150 assembly districts. So you have, theoretically, 300 people just from that part alone. Uh, Not everyone was in attendance. Some people uh, were carrying proxy votes for people. And then in addition to these committee members, you've got uh, Democratic elected officials who are there, some as committee members, but some just as sort of party VIPs to be in attendance, be seen. Uh, you also had uh, some lobbyists uh, who were there. I noticed some people from Brown and, and Weinreb uh, who, which had, who had a presence there. Uh, there were other, I guess, progressive activists who were there. And, you know, you had Hillary Clinton delivering a keynote address. Uh, while she's not a committee member, she's obviously a big figure in New York Democratic politics. 
Uh, and then some of the other speakers included New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, we heard from uh, some other members of the state Senate, including Jamal Bailey and Tim Kennedy, who did some introductory remarks for Brian Benjamin. Uh, and we also heard from basically surrogates of some of the Democratic uh, gubernatorial hopefuls. Uh, Jamani Williams' wife spoke. Uh, she was very a compelling speaker, uh, considering she just gave birth a few days ago and is uh, battling cancer. Oh, wow. Some of the people who were in attendance. It, what, I, what I was thinking when Kathy Hochul assumed the governorship, that my impression was that she would pick Jamani Williams to be her sidekick because he ran against her once before and he had, you know, designs on doing it again. So I was kind of thinking of a team of rivals uh, with uh, Abraham Lincoln, but it, it it wasn't to be. Do you think the governor would have been smarter to pick Jemani Williams than the gentleman she did pick. What's your view? Well, I think your assumption is based, well, your premise, excuse me, is first based on the idea that Jemani Williams would have accepted the lieutenant governor's role. And I don't think that's a foregone conclusion to begin with. I don't think he would have necessarily wanted to assume that role unless he saw it as a stepping stone to the executive mansion, which it could be theoretically, but we really haven't had a lot of lieutenant governors who have gone on to get elected as governor in their own right, unless they've uh, assumed the job uh, as a result of a resignation or some other sort of scandal. So I understand what you're saying, that idea about, uh, you know, bringing everybody into the tent so they're not on the outside throwing rocks at the tent. Um, but I think that the Hochul's decision was kind of based on two different things. One the government perspective. So she wants someone who is more in line with her uh, government philosophy because at the end of the day, the lieutenant governor's main role is to make sure that they're available to step in in an emergency or anything else where they have to act as governor. So I think Brian Benjamin, uh, former state senator, really filled that role in terms of being able to fill in and, and being more aligned with Kathy Hochul than Jumani Williams. But then there is the electoral aspect that you're kind of hinting at with your question. And I think as a Bronx Democrat, Brian Benjamin, uh, well, not not Bronx, excuse me, Uh, he's from Harlem. Uh, Harlem Democrat brings something that uh, Jumani Williams also could sort of bring uh, on the ticket, uh, which is some of the uh, black progressive vote and white progressive vote in the city that sort of eluded her in her 2018 primary. But I also think we're overestimating the, I guess, uh, her need to strengthen her ticket. One, because Lieutenant Governor and the governor, while they are a de facto ticket uh, in the primary, they do run separately. And then the fact that I think she is pretty strong to begin with and doesn't necessarily uh, need to, uh, I guess, increase her bona fides that way. I think she can do it in other ways and put Jumani Williams on the ticket. So you said that, that, that Thursday was the day that everything was, you know, seen and heard and done. Yep. So 
What was your impression of Thursday? Tell me what how the day started, what you saw, what what interests you, what excited you, what disappointed you, if anything. Well, I guess um, one the one thing that disappointed me, and as it always disappoints me, and I always want to hammer it home, is the lack of media availability from the establishment candidates. There was no uh, press availability for the governor. There was no press availability for the attorney general. There was no press availability for lieutenant governor. Uh, and these people have been very closed off and very selective of the interviews they do, like uh, Governor Hochul got a puff piece heading into the convention from the New York Times, and you know they're very picky about uh, what they're going to do. So I was very disappointed about that, as I am always disappointed about it. But the day really started. Uh, well, for me, it started at 7:15 when we had to reserve some space in the convention hall because we wanted to make sure we were near an outlet. Because at an event like this, uh, where you're going to be working all day, you need power, so we had to scope out power. But the day started in terms of our coverage with a breakfast meeting that was held where Jumani Williams and Congressman uh, Tom Suave both got to address committee members. And this was really the only time they had a, I guess, formal opportunity to speak over the 36 hours of uh, events. And in the wake mm-hmm. of that, we had a press availability with public advocate Williams and Congressman Suave, and they got to kind of lay out their rationale for being here uh, their disappointment with the process and where they see their campaigns going from here. Uh, I'll point out that Congressman Swazi ultimately didn't even uh, put his name into consideration for the Democratic endorsement. I think that's largely because he didn't want to perform very poorly and kind of lose an expectations game. Jumani Williams did put his name in, uh, collected 12% of the weighted vote, uh, you need 25% to automatically qualify for the ballot. You need 50% plus one to become the party's designated candidate. Uh, Kathy Hochul easily hit that threshold. I think she got about 85%. Um, but throughout the day, uh, we went through some of the uncontroversial endorsements, which were backing uh, U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer, who's up for election, backing Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, uh, Tish James, who also doesn't have an opponent. So that was kind of the... Uh, simple, routine part. Then things got a little more exciting when we got to hear Brian Benjamin speak, uh, because this is one of really his big uh, political, really coming out parties ever since he got appointed lieutenant governor. And then the Mm -hmm. real big excitement again was when we kind of got to hear from the two sides uh, of the gubernatorial uh, fight. And like I mentioned, Swazi didn't put up speakers. So we got to hear from uh, Jumani Williams' wife, as well as another supporter. And then we got to hear from some of the surrogates for Kathy Hochul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, besides that, though, there, there wasn't a ton uh, of excitement. You know, we were trying to talk with committee members throughout the day. And we heard from sort of the range of committee people, which are the progressive far left, who, for the most part, were unhappy with the process. They felt like that uh, it was really stacked up against uh, Jumani Williams. And then we also heard from the establishment Democrats, including the Saratoga County Democratic Chair, Todd Kerner, who basically said, this is the way things work. It's the establishment's show. And they're able to play this as they see fit. And they really didn't have any issue with, uh, I guess, the amount of time and access that some of the challengers uh, got and they would point to the fact that Kathy Hochul got 85% of the weighted vote. So 
the will of the vast majority was obviously heard. See, I know my uh I'm I live in Albany County and I know the county chairman from Albany County was there and you mentioned Todd Kerner who's from Saratoga. So did all fifty-two Democratic chairmen go to the event? I could not tell you that. I'm not sure. It seemed like there were a lot of uh, county chairs there. We heard from the Monroe County chair, spoke at one point. He's a, a young gentleman. Uh, you know, we heard from the head of the Brooklyn Dems. That's the summer member, Rodney Spichat-Herman. Um, so there seemed to be a lot of leaders uh, from around uh, that, that were in attendance, and some of them spoke, but I'm not sure if uh, all the counties were represented. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did you ever go to a uh, state convention like that before, or is this your first one? This was my second Democratic convention. I went okay. to the 2018 convention in uh, excuse me, on Long Island. I better not say in Long Island, or people will come from my head. Uh, that one was held at Hofstra University, and the big fight there uh, were, were twofold. We had the governor and lieutenant governor uh, endorsements. This is when Cynthia Nixon and Jumani Williams were challenging uh, Kathy uh, Hochul and Andrew Cuomo. And we also had the open mm-hmm. race for attorney general, which was kind of a coalescing uh, around uh, Tish James. So that one was more fun because there were more races. Uh, there were also some more uh, committee sort of decisions being made. I believe there were some platform issues being hashed out and we got to watch some of those in action and that was fun. And also just because it was a pre COVID time, I think people were a little less stressful and a little uh, uh, more access than we had now. And I just mentioned COVID and I think it's important to note that uh, Brian Benjamin in the wake of that has tested positive for, for COVID and, oh, wow. uh, you know, I headed down to this convention with an expectation that New York City was going to be a lot stricter about COVID protocols than upstate. And while they did check for vaccination status to enter the convention hall, people mm-hmm. weren't wearing masks uh, for the most part in the hotel. Uh, there were not a lot of mask wearing in the convention hall. And, you know, even myself, I have to admit, I started the, the trip. I started the two-day event wearing a mask pretty religiously inside. And by the end, I was kind of just like, oh, no one else is wearing a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask either. And, wow. um, you know, I'm kind of worried uh, that I'll test positive this week. Mm-hmm. But right now you're feeling okay? Yeah, and I tested negative uh, yesterday. But, you know, oh, there's good. still an incubation period. Good. Now, there was a number of press people that I know. Susan Arbetter was there, and I know Zach Fink was there. So did uh, political analysts from all over the state, did they attend? Yeah, there were, uh, like you said, Susan uh, recorded uh, New York One from New York City. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nick Reisman from Capitol Tonight was actually at the convention. Uh, John Campbell, Mm -hmm. a WNYC reporter at the Capitol, uh, went down. Uh, Zach Williams, Rebecca Lewis were there from City and State, New York. Uh, the New York Times had three or four reporters, including Grace Ashford, uh, who works out of the Capitol. Uh, obviously, the Capitol Press Room was there. 
Uh, the Times Union did not have anyone present. Um, I believe Bob McCarthy might have been there from the Buffalo News. At least uh, I suspect he was, only because somebody from the Cuomo administration was looking for him at one point. And uh, so I, I feel like they must have, excuse me, Hochul administration, my Freudian slip. Uh, and who else was there? Oh, our old friend Morgan Mackay, who used to cover the Capitol for Capitol Tonight, was there in her new capacity uh, as a reporter for, uh, I think, Fox 5 in the city. So that was exciting to see her. And then from Politico, New York, Anna Gronwald and Bill Mahoney were down there. And I actually went out to dinner uh, on Wednesday night with Anna and Bill to a Cuban restaurant where we had some good food. So was there any talk, any undercurrent, any whispering about Cuomo at all? Was he like a persona non grata or he was just not mentioned or he was mentioned in hush-hush terms? The biggest reference to Governor Andrew Cuomo came from Letitia James, uh, the attorney general, during her acceptance of the party's backing. And she talked about him in the terms of uh, her investigation and talking about kind of her willingness to go after people, even of her own party, if they're doing wrong. And she equated him to Donald Trump in his unwillingness to sort of recede or accept the truth and for going after his alleged uh, victims. So that was really the only reference to Andrew Cuomo, except for some of the progressive members who, when reflecting on the process of the convention, made allusions to the conventions that were held under Andrew Cuomo, although they did acknowledge that they felt like the process was a lot more open than when Andrew Cuomo was there, although they did still feel like it was pretty tightly scripted. So that was really the only references to Andrew Cuomo. This, there were no uh, speakers who were touting him or uh, secretly doing a whisper campaign for Andrew Cuomo to do this office or that office. He was basically out of sight, out of mind. So Jay Jacobs had a pretty good relationship with him. How yes. do you think his relationship with Cuomo is right now? My impression is that Jay Jacobs still maintains a cordial and professional relationship with Andrew Cuomo. He's mentioned the fact that he has touched base with him from time to time. I think that's probably twofold. One, because it's someone he had a long relationship with and is probably, you know, interested in his life and what's going on on a personal level. But then there's also the fact that Jay Jacobs, as chair, might be worried about Andrew Cuomo blowing things up for his party, might be worried about him creating some sort of problem. So he might be reaching out in his capacity as chair just to keep tabs on, on Cuomo. Um, we know that he's discouraged him from running. And we also know, though, that he envisions some sort of path forward for Andrew Cuomo. Jay Jacobs basically has argued in the past that Andrew Cuomo has not disqualified himself from public life, maybe not from public office, but from being engaged in democratic politics. And I don't think Jay Jacobs is going out of his way to carve a path forward 
for Andrew Cuomo, but he's definitely been engaged with him to a certain degree. Uh, interesting. So um, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Well, if I could just mention one oh, thing, yes, Cynthia. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. We, I'm talked sorry. With Jay, we talked with Jay about his uh, future. So his, his term as chair ends this September. And while he is the party leader, the de facto party leader is the governor, and that would be Kathy Hochul. So when Hochul presumably wins the primary and, he, is the, and she's heading into the general election this September, she's going to have to decide whether she wants to keep Jay Jacobs around. And he's basically said that, you know, he would be kind of into it, staying on. But I think that it was something that he acknowledged. It's a really challenging job. Uh, it's a thankless job. It's not something he gets paid for. And as a result, he's kind of in the, the middle of the establishment, the progressives, uh, and has to uh, take a lot of punches. So that'll be one of the interesting things to see this fall when Kathy Hochul gets to put her own stamp on the party. Uh, will she go with a person of color? Will she go with a, a female leader of the party? Will she go with someone closer to upstate? Will it be someone who's uh, more establishment, more progressive? Uh, we'll really get to see her stamp on the party this fall when she gets to choose the new chair. As I was watching um, Susan Albert's show, the one person I didn't see at all when they were showing pictures is Kirsten Gillibrand. Did she go? We've had brief remarks from uh, the senator, uh, but because she's not on the ballot, uh, I don't think this was a big priority for her. Uh, she kind of walks through the beat of her own drum, you know, for the, for the most part. So uh, we didn't really see her throughout the, the two days. I, I think there was maybe a picture of her with uh, Hochul that might have uh, been on Twitter. But for the most part, we had just brief remarks from her, and that was it. And, and the same okay. for Schumer, too. Schumer, you know, was there for his uh, acceptance speech, and then he booked it out of there as well. So he didn't have a, a lingering presence, even though, uh, you know, he was getting endorsed by the party. So does uh... – does Chuck Schumer have, have any primary opponents? He does not have a Democratic primary opponent. Okay. DiNapoli doesn't either? DiNapoli and Tish James uh, both do not have any opponents that have at least uh, come forward through the Democratic uh, committee process. It's possible someone could petition and try to challenge them, but I don't envision that happening for DiNapoli or Tish James. How do you feel about that? Do you like primaries? Do you like when people uh, step up to the plate to challenge a uh, an incumbent to talk about issues? How do you feel about that? Well, as reporters, Cynthia, I think you and I both appreciate when there's any sort of uh, controversy or back and forth, uh, a coronation is boring. I mean, this convention was kind of boring in the sense that so much of the races were uncontested. So, yeah, I mean, as a reporter, I love having back and forth. Uh, then there's the idea of being a citizen, and I guess you might want to have primaries as well because it promotes uh, back and forth. It promotes an exchange of ideas. So, yeah, I guess as a, primarily as a journalist, I, I'm disappointed there's not more 
significant primary challenges. So before you know it, the Republicans will be meeting for their convention, and that's, what, at the beginning of March? Yeah, February 28th and March 1st on Long Island, they'll be having their convention uh, where they'll be nominating the same slate of candidates. Uh, They have a few more primaries. Uh, I think they have contested races for AG um, uh, and governor. I'm not sure about lieutenant governor. It's possible, like, all the different Republican gubernatorial hopefuls will tap their own lieutenant gubernatorial uh, candidates. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got a three-way for the gubernatorial race, and it'll be interesting to see whether that endorsement process is as controlled and one-sided as the Democratic one is, because Lee Zeldin has kind of emerged as the front-runner over there. But, uh, you know, Andrew Giuliani has a lot of name recognition. Rob Asserino is still popular in Westchester County, which carries – uh, a lot of the weighted vote in any sort of endorsement. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how that process plays out. So you think that's going to be interesting. Um, and if – do you think there'll be a, a primary for the for, for governor on, on the Republican side? Do you yeah, envision we're de- that? We're defi- yeah, we're definitely heading towards that. I think the big question is, Will the Republicans try to avoid any sort of internal strife by just allowing all of the uh, debt hopefuls to be on the ballot? Uh, as a, so, you know, basically, instead of saying, uh, you know, only so-and-so has made the 25 percent, they could basically say, all right, we're going to give all of you guys 25 percent, and that way everyone can get on. Um, so th- they might try to avoid something like that. Uh, I-, I guess I'm a little – I question maybe whether Andrew Giuliani – has the party infrastructure to qualify for the ballot, you know, to collect the signatures that he would need. Uh, He hasn't been super, I guess, well-organized, especially compared to Lee Zeldin or even compared to Rob Astorino. So while I I think we are heading towards a primary over there, I I would say that, you know, it, it could be an uphill battle to just get on the ballot for some of those candidates. Um, and uh, either way, I, I, I'm looking forward to it, like I said, because as a reporter, I, I like the idea of having a more back and forth. So we're just about out of time, but we're going to talk again right after the Republican convention. So tell everybody about your show and how they can hear it. So you can listen to the Capitol Press Room uh, every weekday. Uh, you can stream the show at 11 on our website, capitalpressroom.org. Uh, the show is also syndicated throughout the day on public radio stations throughout New York State. And you can also just listen to episodes at your convenience at capitalpressroom.org or by going uh, to wherever you download your favorite podcast, and you can just get individual conversations that way. Uh, this week is uh, going to be doing some follow-up on the conventions, as well as previewing the Republican conventions, and we're also going to have the latest Siena research poll, and uh, we're, we're pretty excited about this political season we're heading into. Okay, David, I look forward to talking with you right after the Republican uh, Republican convention. And Sounds everybody, great. be sure to listen listen to David on his show. So you've been listening to David Lobato 
from Capital Person Room. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Thank you so much, David. We'll be talking in a couple of weeks. Thank you, everybody, Thanks, for listening. Have a great day. Bye.